Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So yeah, we are in the Prepared for the Journey series. It's been really good so far for the past two weeks, looking at Exodus and Moses and his journey, which is quite a journey. Um, We've done Calling to the Journey, that was the burning bush the first week, and we've done Guidance along the journey, which was last week, and I'm sad that I missed that one, which was the pillar of cloud of fire verses. And this one is called Standing Firm on the Journey and specifically looking at the Israelites battling the Amalekites. So the verses I'll use uh, are Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16. So you can turn to that if you want to. But before I get into that, um, I think it's important to clarify what we mean by journey. Uh, By journey, we mean our walk as a Christian, and the journey is growing closer to God. And we call it a journey because there's not really a finish line that we can get to, while we're alive at least. There's never a finish line. It's always a continuous learning journey, I guess you can say. And there's something we can all relate to because we're all on this journey together, some of us further along than others. And I mean, I've only been on it for, don't know how long, only a few years really. Uh, So when I'm talking about standing firm, I've not faced that much opposition in my life, but I have faced some even through those few years. And I hope that becomes useful as we preach it together. And You know, it's been interesting looking at um, this series as well because we've looked at verses we usually skip past. Like the pillar of cloud of fire are a few verses I don't really look at that often. I usually breeze past them in my Bible. And especially this battle with the Amalekites. Compared to, you know, parting the Red Sea and all the plagues and stuff, the cool stuff in Moses' journey. Yeah, the cool stuff. We don't usually look at this part and give it as much significance as we probably should. But it is the same God in those bigger, grand events as he is here. And it's the same Bible, it's the same verses, and we can still learn a lot from that. It's the same God. So, small recap. Uh, The Israelites have been on a journey. So they were enslaved by Egypt, and now they've escaped. They've crossed the Red Sea that Moses parted. Well, God parted, but Moses helped. And despite their complaining about having no food or water, God has provided for them graciously. And... Yeah, we are now in, uh, this is literally just after Moses has broken a rock with his staff and water gushed out, which is an incredible, incredible miracle that he performed. Uh, Yeah, so Exodus 17, verse 8 to 16. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of your men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. He had to hold his hands up till sunset. And remember, this guy was like 80-ish at this time, so it is really an incredible feat. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. 
Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So to simplify my points, because I have three, I thought I'd make a fun little acronym, because who doesn't love a fun little acronym? And I have called it CAT, which is, yeah, there you go. I put Twiggy on the screen. If you haven't met Twiggy, it's a three-legged cat that sometimes appears around the church. Um, and if you're thinking there's some relevance to it, there isn't. I just, I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> so there you go. If you want to justify it, by all means, try to. But I'm telling you, I did it just for the fun of it. So we are looking at CAT. CAT is going to be the acronym today. So standing firm for the C takes courage. It takes courage. And courage can come in all sorts of forms. Like we may not be asked to enter a battlefield and physically fight people, uh, what's in our way and what opposes us, but we are called to fight for what we believe is right. And if you look for courage, Joshua is the right guy to look for in the Bible. Joshua is always like, he's told by God to be brave. And in this verse, in these verses, he's called to fight this battle with the Amalekites. And he stands his ground and fights back against the Amalekites for what God has promised them. Because they've been promised this land that the Israelites would go to, flowing with milk and honey. And the Amalekites are a barrier to that. They're basically trying to stop them reach that. And so Joshua, with all his bravery, goes out and fights for them with no kind of guarantee of survival. But sometimes there are things that oppose the kingdom of heaven and God that we need to take a stance on. Like 2 Chronicles 15.7, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Or Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And to fight the right fight, to fight the good fight, this could be done through, um, one thing I thought of was volunteering. So taking actual action to t tackle the problems we have in society. So for example, we have the community grocery that kind of helps uh, families who are struggling to pay for food and to like support their, their, um, to support their household. Or like the Vine with Jeremy, which uh, fights the injustice of homelessness. Uh, these people who are living out in the streets and who just need, you know, a nice hot beverage, maybe a sleeping bag or a coat. And I've heard stories of opposition. Like, for example, when I was busking with Caleb, which was a while back, um, we always had this, this guy with this massive sign. I think it said, like, Jesus saves or Jesus loves you or something like that. And he was just across from us because we were at the fountain. And then to the right, I'd say, there were these guys holding these banners. And then, of course, people could come and ask questions, right? And we were there one time. And literally, a guy came up and slapped the sign out of the air and then shouted at them. But of course, the guy's response to that was just to pick up the sign and carry on going. And we asked him later, like, does that, does that happen often? He's like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> we've had people knock our signs out before and shout at us. But they've continued to stand firm in what they believe in and stand firm that they are doing God's work, basically. And I have faced opposition like that, too, when I was out with the vine. And before I describe that night, uh, can I just say working with the vine is great because it is, it's usually a very chilled, very chilled volunteering thing. Like you go out at 10 p.m. and sometimes you don't meet anyone, sometimes just lovely walk through the town. And sometimes when you do meet people, they're usually quite relaxed, they're happy to have a chat, maybe just like a tea or coffee and they're very grateful and sometimes we get to pray for them. It's really great. But this one night, uh, we actually had someone trying to start a fight with us. And 
they were like shouting at us and they were like specifically going for Ian. And like he was shoving and he was shouting, where are you from? Oh, I haven't heard of Life Church, all that kind of stuff. And it got really, really bad. And to the point where we had to just call it a night, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything about it. He basically like, he even guarded our stuff. So we like dropped our bag at one point and then he started kicking it and then we couldn't go get it. It was a whole deal. Um, and we faced that really big opposition. But now after that situation, what would standing firm look like to you? So I have some examples. So would you stand there and take it to stand firm, to just be there? So have a few punches and kicks thrown at us, hope for the best. At least we didn't move, right? We stood firm in the very, very logical, like the very literal sense. Or you could fight back, stand your ground. Give him a good few punches and some kicks. It does, well, I mean, we thought about it, but at the time we were like, that's not a very Christian thing to do. I don't think we can have brawls with people on the street. It doesn't, it doesn't, say, it doesn't give us a good image as, you know, as a volunteering thing for the homeless. So, of course, that also, while many people believe that would be standing firm, maybe isn't quite the right action to take. Or maybe we could walk away and we could never come out again I mean, after all, he seemed pretty annoyed. I don't want to bother him. So, you know what? Let's just not do it. Seems like a fuss. Or what we did was we walked away. We had enough excitement for one night. But to come back the next week, because we knew we were doing a good thing. We were doing a mission that God had placed on Jeremy's heart and every heart that comes out to do the homeless. And we stood firm by not letting the enemy stop us. We carried on doing it despite... Um, the opposition that we faced that day. And we've continued on that journey. We've not let it be a barrier to stop what God wants us to do. We've stood firm and said, no, this is the right thing to do. We're going to keep doing it. And you know what? We haven't faced opposition like that since. Never. And it's like 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 to 12. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That verse features a lot of action. Flee from all this. And when it says all this, it means evil, sinful, temptation, stuff like that. Flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of the eternal life. Don't just stumble into it. Don't just, you know, rest there while you have it. Take hold of it. Pursue it. It's something that, con- that needs action and sacrifice and effort. It's not something that just comes easily to us. And Joshua displays this attitude of standing firm later in his journey in Numbers 13, when Moses sent the 12 spies into Canaan. And 10 of the spies came back and said, there's no way we can take this. This is, we can't go to the promised land. This is it, we're done for. These guys are giants, we can't do it. Call it a night. Um, But Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who believed we can take them. Like, God has told them that this is their land, so we can take them. We can, we can fight them, despite the odds and how, they, how fearful they may be. We can do it. We can stand firm on that God has promised us this land, and we can take it. And conformity, to, because it's easy to conform in something like that. If 10 people are saying no, it's easy to say, well, maybe it is no, maybe I'm wrong. But conformity is one of the greatest swayers of the truth. We are not called to conform, but to be set apart from this world. You're called to fight where we might be alone. And it's easy, it's standing firm is to go against the majority. And as, as a criminology student, one of the things my lecturers told me was, never put the public thinks. Never put that. Because 
it's not, the public isn't one big body that agrees on one thing. Like, we all have swaying different opinions. And there may be a majority who agree with this thing, but there's always going to be people who disagree with that. And, you know, we are called to sometimes disagree with people and say, well, actually, no, we think it's this, we believe in that, um, which means we can come into opposition with people. And that's why we need courage to go do that. An interesting thing about conformity, um, Ash did an experiment on conformity in 1951. It was when he did it. And he found that by having a majority say the wrong answer, they were more likely to give the wrong answer. And it was under 1% got the wrong answer in the control, meaning no one was given wrong answers. Under 1% got it wrong. But as the moment they gave other participants to give the wrong answer before they gave theirs, 75% conformed. 75% of them gave the wrong answer. And in fact, I have an example for you to see how well you do. Yeah, so there's the target line. And all you have to tell me is which of those lines fits it. Which one do you think you can shout it out if you want? C, yeah, see, it, it, it made, yeah, see, it's, it's quite obvious which one that is, right? Like, but it's funny to watch the video because people will go B, 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 and then, like, when it comes to the participant, they're like, C, <laughs> and then you can watch their face throughout the experiment as they do line after line after line, where they're, like, squinting, looking at a different angle, like, clearly someone is seeing something I am not seeing, like, all of these people are giving the wrong answers. And then it looks, it's so, it like breaks me to see them then go B and say the wrong answer, even though they clearly knew that's the wrong answer. It is really interesting to look at. Be the 25% that stand firm in their beliefs, that are not afraid to point out what's wrong and to say what's right when it's clear what's right, when no one else agrees with you. That's something I'm working on, particularly. Like, when people are cynical or critical and they say, stuff about Christians, it's hard to then go, well, actually, and then point out why they're wrong. Yeah. Um, but this means that continually we need to like, be strong in the truth, know what it is, so that we can correct people and that kind of thing. And that when we're, like, when we're swayed or there's doubt, we can always have strength in the truth that we know, and not the truth we kind of know. So next one uh, is assurance. Standing firm needs assurance. And we have an assurance. We have God. We have the Bible. As Exodus 14 verse 13 says, um, this was when Moses was about to um, have them cross the Red Sea. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Moses was telling them to not be afraid and put their trust in God because God will be the one who delivers them. God is something you can put your trust in because he will deliver them. And like Joshua, Moses shows a great trust in God that helps him stand firm in God fulfilling his promises and, you know, to do the things that God says that he will do. And it's really interesting to look at the posture Moses does to win the battle. He has, it says that he raises his arms and his hands are up like that. And it reminds me of surrender, like, especially in worship as well, you'll see it. Um, Like, he puts his trust in God. This is like, in my mind, this is the perfect gesture to say, this is out of my hands. This is, this is you. I'm giving it to you. It acknowledges God as the true victor and decider of the outcome. You are the one deciding this. I have, I'm not touching it. This is all you. And it's hard to think, what can we stand firm in? And I think the perfect example is Matthew 7, 24, verse 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, 
because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Our assurance needs to be built on the right foundation, the strong, the stone, the rock. It needs to be built on something strong and something that holds, even when the winds and the rain beat down on us. And too often we do build on the sand. We hear, but we don't listen. Or we build on things that are temporary and don't quite um, have the same gravity as the word of God does. And we can be courageous to stand firm in that. Because, I mean, honestly, there are times when you think, why, why should I stand firm in this? What, why should I? How am I sure that this is like the winning side? But you can be encouraged in that because Jesus has already won. Like John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a trust in God that whatever comes our way, it can be overcome. But that doesn't mean we won't face obstacles. That doesn't mean that every obstacle we face will just like roll over to the side and be out of our way. We'll still face obstacles because how do you ever expect to grow in faith if you never face opposition? And I remember listening to preachers talking about their experiences. Like um, I remember one guy uh, mentioned how he was arrested for speaking out loud in this in the public area in the UK, I think it was. And I remember thinking because he faced this really hard challenge and he said how he overcame it with faith and how even in the police station, he was talking to all the other police officers about God. And yeah, it's, it's funny to think about because it is such a Christian thing to do. And it made me think, why don't I have a story like that? Like when people ask me, what has God done for you this year? What challenge have you overcome? Do I have an answer to that? Have I faced opposition? Have I overcome an obstacle? Was it something I can be trusting in God for? And I think the verse 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 13 um, is a good way of thinking about it as well. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. And what's interesting is if you think you are standing firm, if you think, if you're convinced that you're standing firm, and it's, ca- it's hard to not be, to think that it's in your own strength sometimes, especially when things have been going terrible for you and suddenly they're doing okay. And you forget that it was through God's provision that you're doing okay. And suddenly you think it's your own strength. And you're almost tricked into thinking, well, I can do this on my own now. It's, it's, this, is there, it's, the, um, it's the Israelite cycle of abandonment, like begging, in, begging for rescue and then they get it from God. But then as soon as things are okay again, they don't need rescue. Like, it's fine. We are doing it in our own strength. And then, of course, they get captured again. And this cycle continues through our Old Testament because they never, like, they think that they're strong enough. They think that they are standing firm when they're not. And that's a big thing for temptation as well. Like, when you go through um, a period of time where you've not, you've not fulfilled it, where you've not gone through that stage and you've thought, well, I'm doing well. I've fixed it. I've solved it. I don't have that problem anymore. And it's in those times where it comes back again and then you're straight back where you started. Always make sure it's a continual thing. It's a journey, remember? It's a continual thing. You'll never be at that finish line. So it's a continual continual thing to be with God, to have that prayer, to read the Bible, to 
make sure you are still standing firm in what you believe in. And it's especially hard to do when you create a convincing facade. Like, so convincing, in fact, that you convince yourself that you're doing okay. And um, that's why we need someone to be honest with, someone we can like, relate to and say, actually, I'm not doing so good. And that kind of leads on to, leads on to my strong other point, that standing firm is stronger together. That the most striking image from these verses is Aaron and her supporting Moses' arms to help him win the battle, one on either side, holding him up so that they can win this battle. And as incredible a film as Prince of Egypt is, and I mean it is an incredible film, they, they leave out how, how much Aaron helped. Like, when I read, I only realized this when I read Exodus again to prepare for this, but Aaron was there from the very beginning. Like, when you read Exodus and Moses says, please, I'm not a good speaker, um, in Exodus 7 too, you are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites get out of his country. Not Moses, Aaron. Aaron was the one who told, Pharaoh, who told Pharaoh. And when you read Exodus, it's quite funny because Moses suddenly becomes a middleman. It's like the Lord would say to Moses, tell Aaron and then give the instruction and then Aaron would go to it. Um, like the staff that turns into a snake, that was Aaron. Like the blood in the Nile, that was Aaron. Um, the plague of frogs, that was also Aaron. Like, and it was only later that Moses actually became the one doing these miracles. So Moses and the Israelites themselves would not be where they are right now if it wasn't for Aaron. If it wasn't for Aaron, then there wouldn't, they wouldn't have told Pharaoh to let the people go. There wouldn't have been these miracles to start with. And yes, Moses did all these incredible things later, but he didn't at the start, and he needed someone to stand firm with him to say, this is God's will and we're doing it. And Aaron probably would have been one of the only people who stood firm with Moses. Like, after the first time they told Pharaoh to let the people go, he basically made life hell for the Israelites. And to the point where the Israelites were cursing them for, like, trying to get them out of Egypt. So Aaron was probably the only person who actually stood firm with Moses. And he was the only one who supported him in that mission. To say, this is what God wants, and I'm here for you. And to support another person means we might have to get uncomfortable. Like, I can imagine Aaron and her, like, because you wouldn't have had to, like, stand like that. You probably would have had to bent and, like, Moses was the one with the stone, but they probably would have had to hold their arms up in this awkward position. And to have some of that burden as well, to hold up the weight of his arms so that they can win that battle, they would have been very tired. I wouldn't say just as tired as Moses, but they would be very close to it. And we have a duty to hold people up as they hold us up so that we can help each other gain that victory. And an interesting part of this is uh, the altar as well, the final altar um, that Moses names, the Lord is my banner, or Yahweh Nissi, or Jehovah Nissi, whatever you want to call it. And when they say banners, they're not referring to these slidey things we have at the front. They're referring to these like, great flags with the symbol of that nation carried into war to like, inspire the people and to intimidate the enemy. And having the Lord as our banner means a few things. It means that we are unified under one thing. That God and his word is the one thing that unifies us together as a church. That's why churches are like some of the most diverse communities. It's where you find doctors and lawyers and teachers and all sorts of random people together who usually would never be in the same room together. But the one thing that unifies us is that we believe in a God and his word. And that is where we get our strength from. Also by having that banner, by having God as our banner means that he becomes our identity. Being a Christian is not some hobby or a nickname. It's a choice and a lifestyle we live by. We are literally called Little Christ. It is, it is literally the name we're given. 
And having that banner represents who we are, what we do. We are ambassadors of heaven, you could say, when we fight and when we lead because we carry his flag, his banner, and stand firm in his truth. That's who we are. That's where we find our identity. And that is why we are so unified together. And we are at war, like the Amalekites, because people raise a fist against God every day of the week. And it can be nervous in situations to raise that banner and let people know whose side you're on. But find strength in your calling, where you are, who your allies are, who's behind you, as it were. And find strength and courage in it. As it says in Exodus 15:2, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. To do it alone is, is too much. And I mean, we have a church here as well that supports you in whatever you do. But to, if you've tried to do it on your own, you'll see how hard it is sometimes to, to fully stay on that journey and to stand firm on what you believe in. It's always nice to have a second opinion or someone to back you up. Um, in what you're saying. And Moses experienced this as well, Exodus 18, 13 to 26. And I haven't put the whole thing up there, so don't worry, it's not on a slide or anything. But the basic synopsis of this was, Moses would sit and listen to the disputes of the Israelites, morning till evening. So he sorted out all those quarrels. And Jethro, his father-in-law, when he saw this, he acknowledged that this is too heavy a burden for Moses to do. He was exhausted by the end of this. And so he said that he should select some people he trusts to carry that load for him so he can endure the pressures. And Moses did this. Moses sat there and listened to all of these quarrels because he understood that we all need God-fearing people to turn to who can apply the Bible in situations where we don't know what to do with. And just as important as it is to have that one person, it's important to also have that one person in our lives as well. That one person we, we know stands firm in that word just as we do and who we can trust to apply the Bible in our situations, um, to recognize that people sometimes do need help. And just a quick story. I went to a forum this year, and if you don't know what forum is, it's like limitless, but with um, universities. So it's Christian unions from all over the country come together. And it was really great to have all of, like, these people I've met with uni and to, you know, uh, be in worship and stuff together. And they had these role seminars on this one afternoon. And role seminars basically mean that if you have a role, this is the seminar for you. So, for example, if you were the treasurer, then there was a treasurer seminar you could go to. Or if you're in charge of the media, there was a media seminar you could go to. Now, I'm, my role in the CU is an impact group leader. So I run little small groups. And there was an impact group seminar. But as a joke, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go to the president's seminar. <laughs> and you know what? The president, who is also ironically called Ethan, thought this was so funny. He said, yeah, you should. You know what? Let's do it. On one condition, you have to say that your name is Alice, who was the other president who wasn't there. I said, deal. I am now officially Alice, and I'm going to go to this as the second president of University of Manchester, which I'm definitely not. And it was, luckily, no one asked me for my name, so I never had to tell them my name was Alice. But um, it was really funny to be in there and to be around, like, we were sat on a table with... uh, presidents from the Liverpool, from Uni of Liverpool and John Moores, and I had to explain to them why I decided to become the president, what my greatest fears and desires were this year, um, alongside Ethan as well. It was, it was really great, and I didn't learn any big presidential role secret. Like, I, I kind of was there for I wanted to see if there's anything they weren't telling us. But um, it was a general leadership stuff anyway. But one point that stuck out was 
they said there's a need to delegate. That as a CU president, there's always this pressure of you have to do everything yourself. That you have to balance the CU and your work and you can't really like delegate it to other people. But you can do that. And in fact, they said that everyone in your CU has the same mission. You need to listen to your exec team because they're, they have the same mission as well. And you have to listen to your members as well because they also have this role of evangelizing. So don't be afraid to, you know, they implored us, well, all of the presidents and me, that you should delegate to other people, that you should give them the responsibility sometimes and trust in them. And like that, we too can think we're the only ones to do the work, that we're the only ones who have that responsibility for, maybe it's a person you're thinking of that you really want to, you know, evangelize to. And maybe you think it's all on me and it's only my responsibility and my burden to bear. Or maybe there's someone you're praying for and you've kind of been at it for a few years and nothing's really happened, but sometimes you need other people to pray with you. Sometimes you need other people to be on your side sometimes and meet with those people as well. It's not just something, it's something we can try and do alone, but standing firm in the battle is so much stronger if you have other people with you to be on your side. Especially when it comes to battles, we don't require the solitary figure. We need an army of people willing to protect and support each other. So I understand that I talked about this all quite a bit. And if you can put up the final summary slide with, there we go, the cat, courage, assurance, and togetherness, and a very, very cute picture of me stroking her. But um, I want to finish with uh, this final verse as it perfectly sums up what God has called us to be. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 to 14. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Be on guard. Make sure that you always have that foundation. Make sure you always have, um, you have a defense up. Stand firm in the faith. Make sure that you're always, again, that foundation to make sure that you, you're assured that you're in the word and that you know it. Be courageous, be strong. Make sure that you don't, you know, sometimes there are opportunities and we feel too shy or too nervous to go ahead and do it. I encourage you to go do it. See, what's the worst that could happen? Be courageous and be strong in those moments because those are the moments God speaks to us the most. And do everything with love. That part is, I feel like, I feel like even if it's an and, that's still the really, really key part. Like everything else on that part, beyond God, stand firm in the faith. That's the full stop that follows after. But, and do everything with love. That's the key part. You can't do all of those other things without love. And I feel like people who have a bad idea of Christians have met Christians who haven't done it with love and who don't understand that we do these things in love. And yeah, we need to be an example of that, especially in today's society. So I'll close this in prayer and yeah, God help us. Uh, thank you God for today. And I thank you for the fellowship and the church we have in this room. I thank you that we can stand firm in your word because you have overcome sin and death. And God, sometimes we have our doubts and sometimes things sway us, but God, may we stay, stand firm in our faith and in our journey. When there are obstacles, God, may we tackle them with your help and may we just, God, do what you want to call us to do. May nothing stand in our way. And when it does, God, we pray for your help. We pray that we support each other. I pray that um, we never go about it alone. And that, God, we will be on our guard. We will stand firm in the faith. We'll be courageous and strong. And that we will make sure to do everything with love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. 
Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.